church with your body, Lord, we thank you for the many great things that you're doing, Lord, in our midst and in our hearts. Lord, I pray that uh, this morning we try to them a tremendous blessing. Lord, I pray that you use the words that are said to encourage our hearts and to lead us further down the path you have for us. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If I could give uh, one other shameless plug for uh, our ABFs, we're going to be Jane mentioned sometime in the future, I, I don't know when exactly, what date he was talking about, but so at some point in the future, we're going to have ABFs. And when we do, um, our class is going to be going through a shepherding, shepherding a Child's Heart, which is an excellent study on the raising and rearing of children. And it's one of those series that, uh, we did it here a few years ago, and uh, it's one of those series that I feel like you can go through it at least two or three times through your, the, the years that you're rearing your children, and it'll be okay. We, we should probably even do it on like a biannual basis, because I feel like I forget, like, you know, by the time the second year rolls around, it's like, how, what am I supposed to do with these kids? Like, where do you guys come from, and what planet are you from? So, um, if you have children, or if you have influence over any children, or if you are a grandparent, I, I would encourage you to uh, take advantage of it. Now, and we have other, obviously, many other wonderful classes that are going to be going on, but I'll be facilitating that one, and I'm speaking today so I can get a shameless plug about my class. So that's, there it is. Um, so we're kicking off, this is kind of our missions emphasis month, and I, it's going to culminate on the 20th with, uh, it'll be a spectacular day. We'll be talking with the different, some of the different missionaries that we have that are serving uh, on the foreign field. Uh, but today, we are going to be talking about missions, and when we first get into this, you're going to probably kind of wonder, what does this have to do with missions? But I hope by the time we're done, you'll see that uh, it, it is very important, and it's very important to you and, and your mission. About 30 years ago, a uh, cup, uh, Amway was all the rage, and uh, uh, different people, everybody was getting into Amway, and uh, there was a young couple that... They had a, a, a small business that they had started, and they needed, they, you know, they were looking, and some other friends had talked about Amway, and they, they looked at it as a, a, a potential way to supplement what they were already doing and uh, to help bring in some, some extra income. So they, they went away to a, a conference, uh, an, an Amway conference, and uh, you know, they learned about Amway and about the different products and, and, different, and different things. And uh, I don't know that... I, I don't think that they ever did much with it, but while they were there, uh, another couple invited them to stay. I think it was like a Friday-Saturday deal, and another couple invited them to stay. The following Sunday morning, there was going to be a service. And so they invited them to stay at the service, and uh, in that service, um, this young couple trusted Christ as a Savior. Uh, now, a few years before that, um, they had been walking by uh, the room of their youngest child, and uh, the, the father was had, had had too much to drink. He was drunk, and he was looking into the room of this child, and he said to himself, "Help, God, help! Um, I don't want my son to grow up like this." So now, fast forward several years later, um, and this young couple. 
they, they trusted Christ as their Savior because some other people in business invited them. There were Christians, apparently, but they invited them to, to come and come to the service and, and listen. And they, they heard the gospel for the first time and were saved. Now, at that point, this young couple had a young, scruffy-looking kid that was, uh, that was running around, and uh, he looked uncannily like one of the kids that we have around here today. And uh, you never know, as you're interacting with people out in the marketplace, and that's where we're heading with this message, you never know when you're interacting with people out in the marketplace how God is going to use that how that simple invitation through a business relationship altered the course of this family. And that young couple, that was the first individual to be saved that they know of in the history of their, their of either family. And that son that they eventually took to church uh, several years later as, a, as an elementary student I attended church with them, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And I knew this was it. You know, this was, I had been around religion before. I had, uh, you know, I was attending a Catholic school at the time, and, uh, you know, I got in trouble with the nuns on a regular basis. And, uh, but I, but I heard the gospel, and I went forward and, and talked to the pastor, and I trusted Christ. I was like, this is, this is it. This is what I need to hear. And so you never know how God is going to use those, those little interactions. And, uh, and the fruit of that is, you know, we have several visitors here today, and I won't, and I won't uh, embarrass them anymore. And a lot of them were in my class earlier. But, but then we also have some, some of my, my family here. My cousin Rob, his son, uh, Chris is here, and Rachel's wife, and Julie, uh, Rachel's mom. And so from that, we've seen little pockets of faith come into our family. Not because we're anything special, but on that day, God intersected with our family and did a wonderful thing. <clears throat> so today, what I'm talking about is the wonderful worth of your work. The wonderful worth of your work. And how what you do on a daily basis in those interactions with people out in the marketplace, how they have tremendous worth and how that you can you can alter the course of someone's destiny and someone's history through that. And so what we're talking about is the wonderful the title of this I guess like if I gave it a title would be The Wonderful Worth of Your Work Living a Life on Mission. You're on mission. So we're talking about missions. And so missions isn't just out there somewhere, right? You know, missions just isn't what happens in, in Somalia or, or out in, you know, Haiti somewhere or in, you know, South America. Missions is right here. Missions is, is right where you're at, interacting with people on a daily basis. And sometimes we lose sight of that. So I hope the message today on this, uh, later we're going we're gonna to have to get cruising here, but uh, so we can get you guys into the rest of your weekend. But I hope this message today on Labor's Day Eve is a great encouragement to you. Uh, not long ago, I saw a, a country uh, pastor friend of mine, and we had a good bit of history together, and so we were talking about, you know, you, you know days gone by and days to come, and, and uh, at one point in the conversation,
conversation, we're reflecting on the course of our lives, and he, he mentioned to me, he says, you know, I, I thought that you would, you'd end up going into the ministry. And, uh, and although he didn't say that overtly, I kind of knew what he meant by that. And what he meant by that was is that I kind of felt like, you know, you, you had a higher calling to your life than what you're currently involved in. And because of missing that opportunity, he wound up slogging through life with the rest of the smucks out there who are grinding out a living, preparing spreadsheets and managing meaningless projects and planting trees and turning wrenches and hammering nails while other people made a meaningful impact in ministry. They're out there changing lives and, and seeing wonderful things happen in the lives of others. And unfortunately, this, this secular versus sacred divide has been pervasive in Christendom and has been pervasive in, in the church for centuries. And really it goes back to, to Catholic churches, those darn nuns. Um, it, goes back, it goes back to the Catholic church and how they, they established, you know, centuries ago, the laity and the clergy. And, and when they established that, the laity and the clergy, and, and the sentiment of that was is that there was the lower class of people and then there was the clergy and there were the, potentially the upper class. The problem with that is that that is pure bunk, and that it's not, it's not scriptural. It's not scriptural at all. And the gospel of Jesus Christ frees us from the sentiment that we can do anything in and of ourselves to give ourselves more worth. The Bible says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift from God. And Martin Luther, the great reformer, who thundered against this uh, bad theology, and he was also, many people don't know, he was... He was also the champion of the common man. Martin Luther really was. He was the champion of the common man in his work. And he was not one to mince words. And he belted out this forceful condemnation on those who promoted a person gaining a higher standing with God by leaving their temporal or secular vocations and devoting themselves to full-time church work. He said, They are perverted people that perverts all the laws of God. Yet they hope for higher thrones in heaven than common Christians will receive. No, in the abyss of hell they will sit. They will pervert heavenly freedom into such an infernal prison. So, rather strong language he used against those with that type of theology. If you remember in Ephesians 4, something we, we, don't, we don't think about often, but something that Daniel mentioned last week. He mentioned Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. He said, God gives apostles and pastors, etc., to prepare God's people for what? For the ministry prepare God's people for their ministry. You see, and he said last week, he said, I'm not, I'm not, if you call me here to the church, I'm not coming here to do, I'm not coming here to make the ministry happen. I'm coming here to equip you so that you can do the ministry. You see, that's where ministry happens. That's where, that's where God intersects with the world is in what you do on a daily basis. I want to uh, read from a book that was given to us by a man named Paul Rude was here at our missions conference a few years ago, and he gave us a, a book. It's called Significant Work. And he says, we live in a culture that measures our worth, this is him quoting uh, another man, Edward White. He says, we live in a culture that measures our worth by our accomplishments, justification by works. This is in direct conflict with the gospel of justification by grace. We can handle the dichotomy if we can separate church from the rest of our lives. As long as the two are separated, we will not experience conflict. Six days a week, we can be driven by the compulsive need to climb the ladder of success. 
And on the seventh day, we can smile, shake hands, and sing hymns about amazing grace. When we divide our lives in this way, our walk with God gradually recedes into nothing more than an obscure fragment of life. We no longer live a life of faith. Instead, we occasionally go and do acts of faith. We occasionally take a trip, you know, take a missions trip, or we, we go out calling, or we, we come and do something at the church. But God, He wants us to live a life of faith. We don't want to rip faith out of our everyday lives. Making our significance dependent on us, what that does is that, on us and our actions. When we make our significance based on ourselves and our actions, what we're doing is we're making much of ourselves and little of God. We're making much of ourselves and little of God. And this would explain why years ago, when I, now I, I had spent time, you know, I'd gone to Northland, the same school that our, our, our pastors are from, and I, I had... Uh, was considering going into the ministry. I, because part of that was based on bad theology. Isn't that crazy? That I would, at the time, I was considering going into the, into the ministry based on bad theology. And because the theology was, well, if you really want to do something important, you have to go into ministry, right? Otherwise, you're going to end up slogging through life with the rest of the schmucks, doing spreadsheets and hammering nails and, and, uh, and doing all, all that kind of work. So, so I, I, had gone, I had actually, God gave me the opportunity and I believe it was God's place for me at that time. I don't believe that I was, I was out of God's will, just like, just like right now I believe I'm doing what God has for me to do. But at that time, I had many opportunities to be involved in some wonderful ministry opportunities and saw, uh, saw people come to know the Lord and, and life change, and that was all a wonderful thing. But then when there was a time when I was removed from that, that I, I was, it was very depressing. I was like, well, oh God, am I not? Am I not good enough to be in the ministry? No, because of the Lord, once again, it was making too much of myself and too little of God. But the truth is, is that all of you, all of us, are to be pressing on to that higher calling, right? That higher calling in Christ Jesus, is there, there isn't a ranking system where, you know, you start out here in the Christian life, and then as you go through that higher calling, you get higher and higher on the, on the ladder, you know, God's ladder of, of success, right? You have a higher calling, and, 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 and hopefully you're in it right now. You're in that higher calling that God has for you, because that, that higher calling of God in Christ Jesus that Paul talked about was, was getting to know Him, right? It was going deeper into His relationship with Christ. So what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that what you do on a daily basis matters to God. It matters for all of eternity. Changing your third dirty diaper for the day. Finishing yet another load of endless laundry, leading a successful board meeting, turning a finely crafted machine part on a lathe, all of that matters to God. These are moments, these are each moments in God's massive plan. And these are your moments in God's massive plan. So, a few years ago when, uh, when Mr. Rood presented you know, his book to us, and he, I don't know if he coined that term, vocational guilt, or not, but all the, while the, the phrase was foreign to me at the time, the concept was not. I was very familiar with the concept. And that, that the, the concept is, you know, perpetuated by well-meaning but misdirected preachers when they say things like, one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. So does that mean... Thank God. 
this opportunity to speak to you this morning because that means one hour of my life at least is not going to burn up when I get to heaven. You know? Is that, is that what it means? Because I'm preaching the word this morning, you know, you know, 98% of what I've done in my life is going to, it's all going to go up in smoke, man. <laughs> but at least this hour has been redeemed. Is that what? Is that what they mean by that? You know, only what's done for Christ will last? Because that's the image that it kind of conjures up, right, when, when we hear that. But the point is, is that God, you know, the gospel is about redeeming our entire lives. It's not just about redeeming little moments, but redeeming your very life so that every moment can be used in God's service and it has value for Him. Um, there was another section I was considering. I'll, I'll just read this and then move on. It says, Work is a gift from God. It is a major part of the role we play in God's masterpiece of eternity, and that includes marketplace work. Selfishness is stupid. God hates it, and it will destroy you. Freedom from vocational guilt is not freedom to waste our lives bouncing from one shopping buzz or thrill-seeking high to the next. It's not freedom to toss a few bags of rice at the feet of the world hungry while we belly up the lifestyles of supersized gluttony, all the while shrugging our consumption off as enjoying the fruits of our labor. No, freedom from vocational guilt is none of that. All of that is like sucking on chocolate-coated crab apples. Excuse me. It'll taste good for about two seconds, and then you experience devastating regret. Freedom from vocational guilt is a good and glorious gift from God. It gives eyes to our deep ache for purpose and meaning. It frees our yearning hearts to see the Master at work, forging the breathtaking, the indescribable, the new heaven and earth, united under the eternal reign of the Lord of glory. His masterpiece. Astonishingly, we'll see Him forging it within the context of our regular, everyday lives. Let's re- let me read to you 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. It says, Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Let me read that again. Think about, think about yourself. Think about your life. Use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that the coming ages might show the incom- incomparable, incomparable, got it, incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works that anyone can boast. For we are God's workmanship. So get this. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And, and, I'm, and obviously I'm proposing that those good works are not just that 2% that you get to do within the walls of this church. God created you to do a unique work. You have a unique place in this epic story that he's forging. And it is very important what you do. So whether or not, you know, and I don't think that that should be relegated to cleaning the church or involved in church ministries or even teaching a class. And please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be doing those things because many of you are gifted in those areas and you should be helping at our church. My wise wife once said, she said, God has created all the parts of the body There's the eyes, the ears, the hands. But the problem is that everyone wants to be the rear end. 
can just sit on it. <laughs> so that's the problem with getting people involved in our church. Is that, you know, we, we talk about the, all the different members of the body, but she says the problem is everybody wants to be the rear end. So that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm, I'm saying is that what we should do. I'm not advocating that. But what I am advocating is that you're not just involved here in our church, but you understand whole life stewardship. Being a steward of your entire life. Not just the 2% of the time you get to go and do spiritual work at the church. Colossians chapter 3, 22-24 says, Slaves, and, and you can insert their employees realistically, because back in the day, during Bible times, um, slavery was not what we conjure up in our minds. It was, it was more of an employee-employer relationship. It was based on indebtedness. It had nothing to do with race. It had to do with indebtedness or you, you needed to make a living. And so you would potentially enslave yourself to someone else. So slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Ecclesiastes 9.10 echoes this from long ago. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. So it really doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're turning wrenches or, or, or turning trains, or, or it doesn't matter if you're doing spreadsheets. Uh, Whatever God has called you to do, do it with all your might, because it's ultimately it's based on your heart. It's based on your heart. Are you ser- in your heart? Are you serving the Lord, or are you serving man? Are you serving money, wealth? Who is it? What is it that you're working for? Who is it that you're serving? So I used to feel guilty that I had so many wonderful ministry experiences in the past, and then I was diverted into the marketplace. And then I got to know a man who grew up and learned his family business of carpentry. And he worked tirelessly along his father for many years. And then he went into the ministry for just a brief three years before he was tragically killed. And so I I would ask myself, were the first 30 years of his life a waste? I don't know. Why don't you ask him someday? His name was Jesus. So this is a good time to introduce that sound like Pastor Jack. That was the introduction. Turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. So this is the parable of the talents. I'll just read the first couple of verses to get, get the passage kicked off, and then we'll dive into this. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called the servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another he gave two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. So in this parable, the, the man the, the going on the journey, this, that obviously represents the Father. That, that's, that's God. And what I want you to notice, first of all, is we are stewards of the Master. We are stewards of the Master. So he goes away, just like he did. He went away to heaven. He left us here. And he left us all with different talents. Now, in that day, talents were a weight. They were a weight representing money. It could be a talent of gold. It could be a talent of silver. This could have been talents of copper. All, there were different coin coinages that were used at that time. And they all had different uh, weight. You know, excuse me. 
pound weighs a pound. They all have different values, uh, but they, you know, they, they were each given different weights. So he entrusts his property to them. So just like this is a, this is a parable, uh, God has entrusted his property to us. So once again, we're looking at whole... So I want you to put this in the context of whole life stewardship. So he entrusted not just his money, but when he gave them these talents, think of it as capacity. Think of it as privilege. Think of it as responsibility. Think of it as opportunity. And as Americans, who has more of those things than anyone in the world? Who has more capacity and privilege responsibility and opportunity. As I said in, uh, in our Sunday school class this morning, I'm pretty sure um, Stan Lee wasn't the one who originated uh, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm pretty sure that God had some things to say about that prior to him. So we have been given great responsibility. We have been given great opportunity. And so we're not just talking about Sunday morning here. We're talking about your entire life. Mondays matter. Monday mornings matter to God. And God's goal for your life is not a plush retirement. If God blesses you with that, amen to that. But that is not God's ultimate goal for your life. God's ultimate goal is that you would be a steward with what he entrusted you with. Because we haven't read it yet, but there is going to be a reckoning. He's going to come back and he's going to look at the books. And, and hopefully, when he looks at the books, he's going to look at Ethan and he's going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. So our goals are also not to be individualistic. Our goals are for the broader community, are for our, our church. If you, if you think about Romans chapter 12, what does it say? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Some of my, my favorite verses, and verses that I've had to preach to myself many times, obviously, over the years. So, and then after God says that, yeah, I have a perfect plan for you, my perfect will for you, then just a few verses later, what does he start talking about? He starts talking about the spiritual gifts and how each of us have unique spiritual gifts and how we're to use those for the broader community, aren't we? To, to, to serve one another and to serve this world that God has placed us in. So our ambition, we do tend to be ambitious people, don't we? It's very easy to be ambitious for yourself. But what is our ambition? Matthew 6, verse 31 says, this is the prayer that Christ wanted us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And it's interesting, it goes from this. Uh, can you think of a more ambitious prayer than that? God, your kingdom, just take over everything that you see here. We've made a mess of it. Just take it all over. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Through me and through everyone. Thy will, then what does it say right after that? It's a very humble prayer, isn't it? Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. And we'll, we'll, come, it'll come, we'll come full circle to that because it really is all about trust, isn't it? Our perspective. The next thing I want you to notice is that 
he doesn't give all of the servants equal talents or equal ability. So he gives some of them five talents. He gives some of them two talents. He gives, and he gives one of them just one talent. So it's all based upon, and he gives them the different monetary units based on, what does it say? Their ability. God's not going to overwhelm you with more than you can handle. Neither is he going to give you less than you can handle. He's going to give you what's your measure, what, what is allotted for you. So he, he gives them exactly what they need according to their ability. We talk about opportunity, and we talk about um, you know, what we have. I, and I've mentioned the story to our, uh, my Sunday school class where they've heard it before, but I had the opportunity. I was in um, the Dominican Republic many years ago, and I was on the, on the border of Haiti. And while we was there, we were there, there was a little spot where you could pull off. We were on the way to Lago Enriquillo, which is like a tourist area. We were taking a break. We were, we were looking at the uh, some couple of tourist spots. And inevitably, in, in a third world country, if you're eating something, there's going to be a, a small pack of dogs somewhere. And so we're, we're eating some tuna fish sandwiches, which is probably not a you know. We should have gone with peanut butter. At least I wanted to smell it a mile away. So we're eating tuna fish sandwiches, and uh, and there's a small little pack of, of dogs. And, and so Danielle, who lives in New York at the time, was a Dominican, and he had come back uh, to visit. And Orestes, a friend of mine, we were, were eating these tuna fish sandwiches. And Danielle breaks off a piece of his tuna fish sandwich, and he throws it in the middle of these dogs. In a split second, Quicker than any of those dogs could react, a little boy dove out of the bushes into the pack of dogs, grabbed the piece of sandwich, and scampered off back into the bushes and said, you need to eat. Needless to say, we all were standing there with our mouths wide open. Danielle said a couple of things that were basically unrepeatable. But what Estes said was like, holy cow. When you have a moment like that in your life, kind of change your perspective on opportunity, right, and ability. You know, I think about my life compared to that little boy. Does he have the same opportunities that I have? Does he have the same ability? Does, how many talents was he given? I'm pretty sure if I was given three, he was only given one. How many, the point is, how many talents have you been given? Because whatever talents you have, that's what you're going to be responsible for. He's only going to be responsible for the one talent he was given, the one opportunity that he was given. You and I are going to be responsible for whatever talents we were given. I'm not, I'm not up here speaking to you today because I have a greater talent than you. I just have a different talent than you. So this theory that you hear, you hear this theory going around in the, in the world that you can be anything that you want to be, right? You hear that all the time. And based on this passage, is that really true? If you work hard enough, if you, if you commit your mind to it, you know, if you use the law of attraction, you know, you can be anything that you want to be. Is that true? Is that true for that little boy in the bushes, starving, wanting to eat a piece of our scraps that you just fought off wild dogs to get? See, the, 
truth is, is that we all don't have the same ability and opportunity. The truth is, is that our worth is different than our ability. All of you have the same worth in God's eyes. That little boy has the same worth that I do. The difference is, is that I was given much more opportunity, and I will be responsible for that. That's the difference. You can't be, one of the quotes I read was, you can't be everything or anything you want to be, but you can be everything God uniquely created you to be. You can't be anything you want to be, but you can be everything that God uniquely created you to be. Choices cause us stress, don't they? One of the reasons why Americans are so stressed out is because we've got so many darn choices. So I go to Meyer, and I was, I was just at, yeah, my wife laughed. She's like, you've never been to Meyer in your life. Um, she's like, she's like I, I go to Meyer. This is why I stay away from Meyer, because I walk in there, and I'm like, I'm lost. I'm like, show me where the shampoo is. I was at a, I was at a, um, uh, a supply chain event this past week. And talk about job security and supply chain, Myers has, get this, there are 880 varieties of shampoo on the shelves at Myers. 880. I didn't just pull that out of my head. This is what they're talking about. You know, we're, ta- we're talking about, they're talking about this, you know, this supply chain. How do you get, su- how do you get supplies to the consumers who demand all these different products? And so, apparently, the universe wants to have 880 options for shampooing themselves. And I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? 880 different varieties. Maybe it's a different size bottle. Maybe it's a little different blend. Maybe it's a different variety. 880. So, stress. I mean, back in the day, it used to be, okay, son, here's your thatched roof home, complete with a detached bathroom. Uh, here's your blacksmith's hammer and apron. Oh, and by the way, this is Helga. She's your wife. Enjoy your life. So we went from that simplicity to 880 options for shampooing myself. So you wonder why I'm stressed out all the time. Um, So we can't be everything and anything that we want to be, but we can be what God uniquely created us to be. So don't freak out. Just take a deep breath, and God will lead you down the path that he has for you. I love this question. When Moses, Moses is freaking out, how am I going to do this, God? You just asked me to go before the, the known ruler of the world and, and say, let my people go. And God says to him, what is that in your hand? He says, it's a stick. And then, now, now this is the Ethan version. So God basically says, I'm going to take that stick, and I'm going to beat up the ruler of the known world with it. And you're going to watch me do it. What is that in your hand? You might only have a stick in your hand, but God and a stick? Watch out. Somebody's going to take a beating. So, what is that in your hand? Another another statement that was made is, how are we going to feed all these people? Well, what do we have at our disposal? We've got five loaves, two fishes. Okay, I can work with that. (laughs) We can do something with this. Another time, a, w- a widow comes to Elijah and says, I'm going to die. I'm destitute. I've got nothing. My son and I are going to go home. We're going to make our last meal and we're going to die. He says, what do you have in your house? He says, I've got this one little vial of oil. All right? You can, 
do something with that. She starts to pour that oil out, fills all the jars in her house, and she ends up being able to live off of the sale of that, that oil. 1 Corinthians 12 says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in all men. So whatever your gift is, your unique gift is, God is going to use that. Your unique calling is the sum and the intersection of your experiences, your gifts, your passions, your relationships. And God takes all of that and he forges something great in eternity. Eternity present and eternity future. So we don't all have equal talents or ability, but we do, uh, in a sense, so let me, let me rephrase that. We don't all have equal talents and ability, but in a sense, we do have equal opportunity. In a sense, we do have equal opportunity. Let me, let me explain. So God, you know, these, these guys come, and they, the one guy says, the man who received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gave five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, and he dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrust me with five talents. You have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you've entrusted me with the two talents. You have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So, even though they were given different abilities, and in a sense, different opportunity, in a sense, they had the same opportunity. The same opportunity was to double what they had. And if you're only given one talent, go out and use that talent. If you're given ten talents, go out and use those talents. The point is, is that he, even though they, the one guy only had less than half of the output of the other guy, God said the same thing to him. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enjoy the happiness of the Lord. Success is based on effort. It's based on commitment. Are you committed to what God has for your life? So I've got a question you've probably never, that's never kept you up late at night. But uh, there's questions like this that sometimes trouble me. Was Jesus a talented carpenter? Think about that. Was Jesus a talented carpenter? Or was his success for those first 30 years based on his effort and his commitment to what God had for him at that time? Because the fact is, I don't read in history, you don't read in Josephus about this, this uh, furniture business that was started and people came from miles around to see the perfect furniture. Like, this guy makes perfect furniture. I mean, how does he do it? You know? You, this guy, I mean, he's got his ideas, his craftsmanship, it's just perfect. But you don't hear about that, do you? You don't read about that. You know, but the point is, is that he used what he had at the time, and he, it was based on effort and his commitment. And that's what he expects of you. What was expected of him is what is ex- expected of you. Of the 16 heroes in the faith in Hebrews 11, only one would be considered a vocational minister. I don't know if you realize this. Read it, read it sometime. Only one is a vocational minister. The rest of them were business people, government officials, military leader, leaders, except for Samson, who had his issues, 
and Rahab, who was a former prostitute. And I don't think they want to even say that that was ministry of any kind. Um, so, think about that. You know, God uses normal, ordinary, marketplace work to do great things. So we all, we, we don't all have equal ability, but we all have equal responsibility, don't we? We all have equal responsibility. Salvation is not our bus ticket to heaven. And while you wait for the bus, it really doesn't matter what you do at the bus stop. That's not, that's, not, that's not the perspective we should have. So God is going to check our books. Like it says, he comes back here and God reckons with these men. Christ is coming. God wants us to be contributors, not consumers. We live in a consumer nation. But God doesn't want us just to be consumers. He wants us to be contributors. Don't be tricked, as one author said, into indulging in the failed opiate of consumerism. We should strive for whatever God has given you, whatever place God has put you in. If you're a one-talent guy, if you're a five- or ten-talent guy, it doesn't matter. Strive for the maximum returns on the investment that God made in you. Strive for the maximum return on the opportunities that you have. The two parables in this chapter are about readiness. The first parable that we haven't, we're not going to talk about was about the, the virgins. And they had to trim their lamps, and they, they were supposed to be waiting and watching. And then the second parable is the one that we're talking. It's about working. Waiting and working. Waiting and working, but being ready. Being ready, because the Master is coming, and He is going to adjust the accounts. And for us, if you know the Lord, that's going to be a blessed day. It's going to be a blessed day. So this third servant, I just, you know, I don't, we need to move along quickly, but this third servant here, I want you to, we notice something troubling. In verse 24, then the man who received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed, so I was afraid, and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what it belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money in deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. And throw that worthless, wicked servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So the troubling thing here is that this uh, man was a professor, but he was not a possessor. Okay, in, this, in, the, in these scriptures here, I don't know if you notice in your Bible, Jesus is teaching. There's a lot of red there, and it, was, and it was a lot of what Jesus was speaking to his disciples. And in these passages, um, there's a theme that he's talking about. He's talking about the sheep and the goats. He's talking about the wheat and the tares. And now in this passage, he talks about the, the faithful servants and the unfaithful servants. And so this unfaithful servant, he had an outward did one author say he had a uh, he had an outward association, but he had, didn't have an inward possession of the kingdom. So he had an outward association with the kingdom, but he didn't have an inward possession. So uh, everyone under the sound of my voice right now, and, and each Sunday as they come here and they hear our pastors faithfully preaching God's word, you're receiving talents, you're receiving opportunities, and so we're going to be responsible for those. And so this morning, you're receiving a gospel talent. So whether you know the Lord or not, you're receiving a gospel talent. So this servant was not a sheep, he was a goat. He was not a wheat, he was a tare. He was not a prepared virgin, he was asleep. If you're here and you don't belong to Christ, my plea is, please don't waste this opportunity. 
of waste this opportunity. Everyone here is receiving a coin of opportunity this morning, an opportunity for believers and unbelievers, but if you're not part of the family, you need to cash in your coin. You need to cash in your talent for this opportunity and trust Christ with your destiny today. You can go and talk to one of the faithful servants in our church, our pastors. You, you, need, to, you need to know the Lord. You need to be not just a professor, but a possessor. So it, it all goes back to trust, doesn't it? As we wrap this up, it all goes back to trust. Matthew chapter 11. Turn there quickly. Matthew 11, 28. It says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he saying there? He's saying, I know you're getting beat up on Monday morning. I, I know it's tough out there. I know it's a struggle. Uh, but take my yoke upon you. Change your perspective. You're working for me. You're not working for mammon. You're not working for the man. You're not working for that, that boss. You work for me. And when you take that perspective, and you take that yoke upon you, what does he say? If you're weary and burdened, I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You're working for me. Those talents that you're using, I gave them to you. Now we use them to do something wonderful. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, very familiar verses to many of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways. How many of your ways? Just on Sunday morning? Or does Monday matter? In all your ways, acknowledge me. And I will direct your path. So we, we want things to be crystal clear, but then think about the people that God did that for. He says to Moses, this is exactly what I want you to do. What does he do? Comes up with a million excuses. says to Jonah, this is exactly what I want you to do. What does Jonah do? He runs the other way. So we don't want God to be crystal clear, but we want God to be with us, and we can trust him. So the question is, are we being intentional? Are we purposefully directing our lives and resources toward kingdom purposes? in our daily lives, not just out there, but right here, in our community, in our workplace, where you intersect with this world. Just like Daniel said last week, as you go, the Great Commission, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. As you go, as you hammer nails, as you turn wrenches, as you prepare spreadsheets, as you lead board meetings, make disciples. This, this, this Brazilian guy, he's, this is a quote from him. He said, have you considered how you can best leverage your job, your skills, your career, or, or company for the sake of God's glory among your neighbors and among the nations? And he listed himself as, and this is in a Bible study I was going to he listed himself as a great commission entrepreneur. I like that. I like that. He's a great commission entrepreneur. So as you go out, guys, what you do matters. All those loads of laundry, every nail that you hammer, every spreadsheet that you prepare, all that data that you have to enter, it matters to God. And you need to do it through your wonderful, unique gifts for His glory, and He will use that. He will use that. Remember, this life is just the apprenticeship. This is just the apprenticeship. Someday we're actually going to be working 
for real for the, the great carpenter. But for now, this is just the apprenticeship. He's just teaching us how to work. And then someday it's going to blow our minds how he's going to take all these seemingly insignificant things that we do, and he's going to create a masterpiece out of it. And I don't even know how to start to explain that to you, but it's going to blow our minds, and it's going to be awesome. So go out there, be awesome for God, starting on Monday and Tuesday this week. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for the way you work in our lives. Lord, thank you for all the many seemingly insignificant, trivial things that you bring into our lives. And Lord, sometimes we look back and it's, we just think, wow. We look at the, the, the wonderful masterpiece that you're creating. God, sometimes we don't understand. Sometimes there's, it seems like horrible things that enter into our lives. We have loss, sadness. God, we know that you're using all of these things to your glory, Lord, for the, for ultimately for your glory and for our greater good. And God, we, we look to you, and Lord, we trust you. That's what you call us to do. You call us to trust you. You say, come, follow me. And God, just in that act of following, it takes trust. So God, I pray that I would follow you. I pray that, that you'd help everyone with the sound of my voice to follow you. Let's stand together and respond to the message that we just heard with the song, What Shall I Render to My God for All of the Mercy and Gifts that He's Given to Me? One of my favorite quotes from that message is, Strive for the maximum return on the abilities that God has given you. So let's do that this week as we serve Him all to His glory. We'll see you soon.